Cyrus. Coming from the other side of my apartment this time. Just doing a little warm-up. Uh, so, welcome back to the morning show. <laughs> that is not what this show is called, baby. Uh, so we, we just watched a couple trailers. Hello, everyone. This is Hot Little Takes. My name is Mike. My name is Christian. Uh, we just watched a couple trailers for some upcoming shows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're mostly going to be talking about Succession, but I just treated Mike to a one-two punch of some new trailers for upcoming TV. Uh, season three Marvelous Mrs. Maisel trailer just got released. Yep. And it looks <laughs> and about... I didn't, I didn't realize they were going to churn it out that fast. Like oh, my God. Said. Two, seasons in, two seasons in one year, so... Yeah, that's, like, remarkable for shows like that. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel might hold two places on your end-of-the-year top ten list. It might, it might be up against itself for the Emmy... Jesus. <laughs> but, alright, so, I mean, what are our initial thoughts looking at that? Just that it's as on fire and charming as it's ever been? Uh, yeah, the, it's like a teaser, so there's not much to that trailer, but there's a lot of cool shots. Yeah, I, I don't need much. There's a drag race, I noticed that. A drag race, indeed. Um, Lenny Bruce is back, baby. Oh, yeah, Luke Kirby is that actor's name. We talk about him on Luke, The Deuce. Luke Kirby is a great name. That's like a name I would name... Uh, a fictional character, <laughs> Luke Kirby. He's like a cowboy name. It's a good cowboy. It name. is kind of a cowboy name. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Miss Maisel herself, she looks charming as ever. She carries that thing. Yeah. With a uh, on a wing and a prayer. With chutzpah. With much chutzpah. She's got moxie that one. Absolutely. Uh, we uh, watched another trailer just now too. <laughs> that, that is decidedly less uh, appealing than yeah. Marvel's Mrs. Maisel. I thought it looked like the drama, the dramatization of the plot of Anchorman at first. <laughs> um, so what Mike is talking about is the trailer for the morning show. The morning yeah. show. It was on, and it's on Apple TV. This is yeah. This is the debut launch for Apple. Apple Plus TV or whatever the Which fuck is it's their, called. Their streaming service. Counter to Amazon, I suppose. Yeah. They're, well, I mean, they're, they're, it's like their bid into the sure. streaming war sure. that's going on right now. And they're getting in <sighs> first because we're about to see the Disney one and the, the Turner one. So it's a, And I think a different Fox one. You're and get, a different HBO. You're getting one. all the sure sure's out of me. Sure sure. <laughs> Man. Drink every time we say what? sure. I can't afford all these subscriptions. So that's why you need friends, ladies and gentlemen. And you have to figure out... Who's going to be the, the Hulu friend and who's going to be the HBO <laughs> friend so that you can share those passwords, but you got to keep them tight because I've seen that stuff. It escapes the circle. It gets out of control. Yep. Uh, shout out to Justin Wolf, whoever that guy <laughs> whoever is. Whoever you may be. You got me through a couple of years, man. Absolutely. So thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> but needless to say, I don't think that I'm going to be asking any friends if they have an Apple Plus subscription because I have zero interest. Not in that show. In this show. Yeah, so the it's got a lot of famous people, I, we noted. Um, Mark Duplass. Mark Duplass, which, <laughs> was, not, which was not my first thought. Uh, I, yeah, I, I guess you said your first thought was, was good for good him. for him because yeah, he's working with uh, Steve Carell, uh, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon. Yep, Billy um, Crudup. Billy Crudup. Yeah, but it looks like Aniston and Carell are the leads, so they're like, we're gonna give it all these sitcom guys. Reese and uh, Crudup are. Look more background. I, well, Reese's positioned as this like new energy in the oh, in the God. in the newsroom, and it's so funny. I that can't even pretend to care that much. I can't pretend to care, but I also find that she's sort of a weird casting for like here's this new up and comer. She's like almost fifty. Yeah, she's a babe though. She's well, of course. I mean, I love Reese Witherspoon. We started this podcast. Did they put her next to Jennifer Aniston to be like? 
this is your competition? I guess something? so. And this is what this is kind of what you brought up at the end of us watching that trailer was that it's this seems like it's not taking a good position on a lot of the things it's trying well, to the talk thing about. I noticed, so it seems like kind of a Me Too story at the beginning. Jennifer Aniston is announcing that Steve Carell, her former co-anchor, has some sort of scandal going on. But it really makes it look like he's probably falsely accused, which is a really tough position to take. Yeah. So meanwhile, Aniston's becoming this like the last scene or whatever, she's like, this is my house now to all these old guys yeah. running the station a, or a whatever. A very, a very wooden sounding monologue that seems like it might be too big a moment for yeah. for that show. And and Carell seems like a little bit of a uh, not all men kind of thing that yeah. they're going to be, you know, an argument that you don't really need to be championing amidst all the other reasons for that to be an issue in the first place in the last couple years. Right. What I was really curious about was who's making the show, like who is the creative force behind this thing, and the the, the executive producers of this are Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, and there's no one listed here as like the creator of this show, huh. or the main... Even the showrunner. Yeah. Or what about the writer? Is there a consistent writer? I don't know, I don't know. I think that I had read somewhere that this was... Based on a book, but that is nowhere to be found on the Wikipedia. So. Honestly, we kind of we kind of just glossed over Miss Maisel, and we're spending so much time talking about this show relative to that. that well, I think yeah, we're but... really doing an injustice to both shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just wanted to. We you know, just wanted to get some new news in there. You know, and the last thing Reese Witherspoon was a producer on, I liked the first season of absolutely producer reese i'm all in on yeah i love you reese if you're listening hell yeah reese also got gone girl made i just found out oh right on yeah yeah that's a fucking classic so man that's kind of the the point those guys get where they can just they can call a lot of shots for what gets made because their names carry a lot of clout absolutely so uh soon rachel (laughs) brosnahan will be uh you know, twice the titan. She's a talent. Huge talent. Same with Jack Kirby. Luke Kirby. Luke Kirby. Jack is the character he plays in Slings and Arrows. Shouts to Slings and Arrows. Shouts to Slings and Arrows. And he's also in The Deuce. Coming out soon. The Deuce. That we're very excited about. If you haven't heard. Alright, so... Alright, let's, let's, get, let's get away from these trailers, because I guess the Mrs. Maisel looks like it's going to slap, like it always does. And this morning show series and this entire Apple platform seems to be getting off on the wrong foot. I think. Also, who wants to watch fucking Apple TV? I mean, look at when Amazon first came out; it had some crap. I think that I think that Apple TV has the um, the Mandalorian, the Star Wars series. Oh, that's gonna be. I think they're they're. Oh. <laughs> I know that it co-stars our boy Werner Herzog as I think a villain in that show. Oh, I'm 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 into Herzog. He's gonna be a Sith Lord. He's gotta be. He's gotta be. He's gotta be like. Werner Herzog also just got a bunch of stuff. The Jedi have lost their way. <laughs> they just put Fitzgeraldo in a bunch of stuff on Criterion, so maybe we'll have to do a Werner Herzog deep dive episode. Oh soon. sure. <laughs> oh sure. Or even just talking about that documentary about Fitzgeraldo, because we get a lot of lines oh. from that. Or he, what does he say? He's... If I abandon this project, I would be a man without dreams, and I don't want to live like that. I, I. I live my life or I end my life with this project. <laughs> what a badass. Yeah, he's my fucking guy for life. And that's a movie where, about a guy who 
uh, carried a boat over a mountain, and in order to make that movie, he had people carry a boat <laughs> over a mountain. Oh God, what a guy! There's some great shots of him riding shirtless on a on like on a motorboat, yeah. like soaring down the river and arguing with his boy Klaus or whatever. That's right. That's that documentary is one that I could highly recommend to the girls at the Honestly Hell Yeah podcast. Honestly Hell Yeah, special uh, shout out for you. Hell Yeah. So let's sorry. So, so we're 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 kind of going off the rails. That's what, okay. What we, we came to we do? Ride, we ride the rails. We ride the rails, baby. But what we came to do was to do some rails, some uh, some park some, coke rails, some big fat with our guy succession Kendall. Succession rails. Succession, baby. Hit the music. Ketamine. What's the line he says in this last episode? He says that he's looking for some pussy like a Techno Gatsby. What a dork. <laughs> looking for some pussy like a Techno Gatsby. There was a great scene in the first episode of this season where Cousin Greg gets him some bad coke. And he yells at him. He's like, this is the worst coke I've ever done in my life. Yeah, there's a... I, I wanted to do a whole thing about some of the best lines from these first two episodes, but one of my favorites from that scene is, if my septum falls out, I'm going to make you fucking eat my septum. <laughs> Adam McKay. Adam McKay and uh, Jesse Armstrong, the guy who created that show, and I think I think directed those first two episodes. Oh, okay. Right on. British guy. He does the after the episodes. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, and there are some fant- fantastic British actors in this, which yeah. sometimes I get a little weird about British people playing sure. Americans. But, but there's but... something about... How they do it in this show that it's like an observation on America that I kind of relish. You you pointed out that Tom and Shiv are almost like a satire of those kind of rich Americans. Yeah. Who wish they were gentry. And in this case, they actually are because... Well, but Tom's not. Tom's not. Tom's Tom's married in. Yep. (laughs) In this second episode, I think that Roman says that he looks like... A Twin Cities divorce attorney. Oh my god, when they <laughs> when they are roasting him at, at the, the dinner. dinner, that's oh. a rough scene. I forgot about that one. That is rough. All right, so where should we start? We yeah. we even talked about either of these first two episodes, but I know we've both been riveted by them. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, we come back from the first season where Kendall has been bla- basically blackmailed by his father to hide this uh, this malfeasance that resulted in the death of a waiter. Yeah. Or was it a, yeah, he was a waiter. He was a waiter at the yeah. at the castle who had some ketamine. Yeah, and uh, drowned in a lake. Or and they you know and they've done a good job to explain in both of these episodes where we're at in time. So even at the point of the second episode, we're only like two weeks removed mm-hmm. from that happening with Kendall at Shiv's wedding. So he's still I mean like really really deep in the the fog of I mean having just killed a man i mean unwillingly killed somebody but definitely being responsible for the death of someone and going from stabbing his father in the back to now being under his boot yes because his father's basically blackmailing him they they have such a fucked up relationship with how he's like you're my you're my my number one my number one boy (laughs) but at the same time there's a guy coming to tell kendall this is how we're handling the body to cover up this scenario. And that is very, a great scene. And it's very clear, like, you need to play ball and just do whatever the fuck we tell you to right. do. Right. Like, there's a great moment in no that scene about it. when the, the security guy that's talking to him is like, he uh, he did unbuckle his seatbelt, which means that he was alive at the time of impacts, and that's news to Kendall, obviously, and his reaction. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, that he's he is so, that he is so shaken. 
Well, and he's got this, like, he's in this fog, and you see it especially in the first episode. In the um, first moments of that yeah. season. When he's talking, I know a couple of scenes we really liked in that first one that it'd be nice to talk about were the kind of Shakespeare scenes out, like, on the little bridge and out oh, on the little... between all the siblings. Yeah, where all three of the siblings are having these, like, these shit-talking fests. Uh-huh. And just what great characters they are. Oh my god. And well, it's and some of the best insulting dialogue. This yeah. is kind of what we said about Veep when we talked about it last week, is that it's so truly mean-spirited Yes. all the time. Yes. <laughs> like, there's no, there isn't a lot of subtextual discussion happening a lot of the time. Like, it is so on its face. And when Shiv and Roman are... are giving Kendall shit like he's like a fucking robot and they're like look at you you're like you're like you're, you're like shell you're a fucking robot you're like a sex robot for dad to fuck <laughs> that's right yeah. God, and then so much good think, shit and what is it it's like you're like a it's like something like you're like a dead dog yeah you're like a sex robot for dad to fuck yeah and also a piece of shit yeah and also a piece of shit <laughs> yeah Roman throws those in there it's like he Roman's like a like got some Pete Campbell vibes Absolutely. Or he'll just throw in like a Absolutely. And and you're selfish too. <laughs> you're, you're Tarzan swinging from vine to vine. <laughs> yeah, just the shit talker. I could do an entire Pete Campbell episode. <laughs> we will. We'll get around <laughs> we'll, to that. That might be the way we have to do the Batman um, thing. So in the first episode, oh god, it's hard to even decipher all of the plot things happening because they're all happening so fast. Right. But that opening sequence of Kendall getting pulled out of the the like Swiss spa that he's at to go on the news to yeah. to 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 distance himself from the deal that Stewie uh, was gonna make to take over Royko Waysar and they bring him to the news and you see him gripping the 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 chair yeah and that and you see his stress and then it cuts to everyone else watching him on TV like he looks terrible like you know he looks this guy looks like he must have killed somebody uh -huh. or something yeah this guy looks like he's gonna go to jail so your tension level is so high for Kendall and then one of the best needle drops of the theme ever comes after you know he denounces what Stewie was doing in his and he says my I. I saw their plan and I liked my father's plan. My dad's better. better. Yeah. And then his dad goes, that's the first thing my son's ever done right in his life. And then you hit that theme music, which is gotta be in the Hall of Fame for fucking TV theme songs. It is so good. Well, it, it, it elevates that thing to... We keep talking about Shakespeare with this. Like earlier Absolutely. we were talking about how this is probably only going to have like three or four seasons and they're going to be like yeah. an act of the larger story. Yeah. And just well orchestrated like that. And that theme makes you feel that way, and it oh, and you yeah. see these and you see these huge buildings, and you just know these are like the emperors. Yeah, you know these are these, the people that actually run your life. They, they it's the fabled one percenters. Yeah, you know, and not the motorcycle guys. <laughs> not the motorcycle guys. We're probably just gonna jump around. I think through both yeah, of these. That's all right. Great, great moment of the garish decadence. Logan makes them throw all the food out, and you see them pouring pouring all the shrimp and lobster yeah, and all this beautiful right. food into the dumpster. I loved the the whole thing of there's something rotting and decaying oh, underneath oh, all this beautiful. I shit. was exploding as that was happening. I mean, that is such good stuff. Yeah, and what was it? What was it? It was they were three. It was three dead raccoons, one for every. But 100, he said 000. the guy. He said the guy stuffed him in there and yeah. ruined ruined that guy's life. Yeah, because. 
that's all it takes. Yeah, what does he yeah. say to him? He's like, my, <laughs> he, he my, the, my, my attorney works for the Department of Justice. Who's yours, Mr. Fucking Magoo? Mr. Fucking Magoo. <laughs> Brian Cox is on fire. In oh, my thing. God. Like, he really sells that that powerful of a man. Like, and he is a Royal Shakespeare guy, too. Yes, yes. And he's got those. That, that brings a lot of it, too. You know? It's oh, like yeah. having uh, uh, Anthony, what's his name? Who's doing so well in Westworld now? Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, that kind of a name. Sure, sure. Doesn't, yeah, they have a similar. Doesn't do much presence. for Westworld, that guy. Well, Westworld doesn't do much for Westworld. Yeah, we can get into that one. <laughs> I've, I, I watched the first two seasons, and I am ashamed to admit it. I think there's a new trailer of that too. Ugh. Maybe oh. we can tack that on the end of this. Oh, that's something else. That's like a. That's like something you watch, like a car accident. Oof. Yeah, well, that's that's, anyway, that's another day. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Brian, Brian Cox is that is that base that this whole thing really rests on. Yeah, he you know, yeah. It's, he's this he's this guy who's got all this power and he can't last forever. And he's got the lineage. He's got the succession. It's a great great theme for that. right. And he also has a you know Kendall says in that I think it's in the first episode where he calls him the man, the myth, the legend, and he does have this sort of ethereal quality to him like it's almost like a marlon brando or not brando orson welles character the way that he can can be so light on his feet and then so severe when he needs to be or when he wants to be i should say yeah yeah he's awesome the performance i love him the performances (laughs) top to bottom i think are just fucking great the scene with him and shiv when he's offering her the business and yes that's the scene we should talk about the way that like because she comes in so harsh like thinking that this entire thing is a charade and he like woos her. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the scene in Richard the Third where Richard has killed the husband of Lady Anne and then convinces her to marry him. I think she. Talk- <laughs> I think the actress talks about that in the after the episode and is like, it's the thing she never knew she wanted. Or maybe that's in the scene. I can't remember. But it's that. It's exactly that energy where she's like, I don't want it, and he's like, but I want you to have it, and she's like, I've always wanted it. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I think that he my. My theory is that he also offered Roman the job. I don't know if I still feel that way, but after yeah, I, I, don't know saw, if I, still after feel I that saw the first one, I was like, "Ooh, that yeah, could, he could be. Pl- he's playing these kids nine different ways." She says, yeah. "I don't trust him." Exactly. You know, Kendall's being blackmailed by him. Right. But like you said, it's nine different ways. I mean, he really does have a different game going with all of yeah, them all the he's time. Yeah, he's an octopus. Yeah. And every, and this shows and also, everyone's motivations are based around him. It's such a great lead oh for god. something uh god i thought of like 50 things i wanted to talk about that's right because there's we so can go through all of them yeah i know uh <laughs> oh i was thinking just again about shiv getting that news and then in the second episode and obviously this gets dashed because she resigns from being the campaign manager for the birdie bug for bernie bogosian bogosian who i love that actor i don't uh, know why he's like a guy i've always been like he's a great character actor he's a great character guy like, yeah yeah good playwright too yeah um but when he offers her his chief of staff if he gets elected and she for the for that like one evening has those two things weighing on her and i was like man i've never had two good options in my entire life no shit <laughs> no shit what a what a what a what a bunch of riches I've either had I've either had one good option or just an option. Oh, man, 
it's crazy to think about like what their problems are relative to I mean that's part of the the shock of watching that thing is you're like these guys never have to worry about anything 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 like they are they are unstoppable I know it's then those are kind of the things I think that tidal wave kind of sympathy for Kendall like happens when he's dealing with his family and stuff and then when he's away from all of that and you see that he's just staying when Greg comes to bring him that shitty coke he, yeah Greg's like wow this place is incredible and he's like yeah it's fashion week all the good penthouses are gone or, or, <laughs> that, or, that he insists, or that he insists on the motorcycle even though they're like well you have to ride bitch and he's like that's fine I'll, I'll take the bike you're like what's well, such a such a uh, he's he's such a conflicted character you know because he like w- w- wants all this power but also is such a doofus yeah like we were talking earlier about when he whenever he's like hey dude oh no totally bro we're on great turn <laughs> like that kind of that energy yeah, yeah. he takes to meetings and stuff yeah well it's that's why it's a good it, like it reminds me of seeing someone on and off of stage Right. You know what I mean? Because he really does have, like, a this is how I do my business guy. And right. he has that when he goes to talk to all of the, like, millennial employees of Walter. Uh, and, and his inner party guy comes out. Exactly. But then, like, when you see him in the scenes with his family, he has a very different energy. Yeah. The Walter thing was, like, the big thing in the second Yeah. And I, and I know we were both fans of that plot because... Me, at least, I rant about union stuff all the time, so it was yeah. great to see that become a central well, and it hit, story it, thing. And it could not have hit at more of a perfect moment. I mean, I know, I'm know i sure that you saw some of this, that at Bleacher Report, the employees were planning to unionize, and Dave Portnoy, the already kind of questionable CEO of that company, like took to Twitter immediately to like bash the idea of this happening, and partly because at the ringer, the employees were unionizing and they just founded and completed their union the other day. And it's like, they're like being celebrated for this, like very progressive way of working in a media industry like that. And that guy shut it the fuck down and here they come and they shut it the fuck down in the same week that all that happened. And and that script was written a year ago. Yeah. You know, (laughs) like, Oh my God. Good good shit. That's what, that's why this show's like one of the best, the best. It's one of the best. What else? What else should we talk about this this episode? Well, I mean, we we one. were talking about Kendall, but we didn't, I think, just pinpoint and make sure that it's very clear that Jeremy Strong gives like one of the fucking best performances on TV. Yeah, bar none. He's already had a huge arc in two episodes because you know by the the time he fires everyone for for trying to unionize, you th- realize that his his veneer of being just thousand yard stare is really him building up to being like, I'm going to be the most cold-blooded motherfucker. Yeah. You can spit in my face, and I'll oh. say, that the best you got. Man, he does have a great... I love that shot in the second episode where he's... A, I think it might be before he goes over to Volta or when he's there, when he's left the first time, but he is staring at himself for so long in the bathroom mirror, and then he washes his hands, dries his hands with that paper towel, and then throws the paper towel in his face in the reflection of the mirror. Oh, man, I didn't catch that. There's there's a couple... I think he might kill himself or something. Not this season, but... Eventually. Yeah, that might be like... At the end of the show. Yeah, and Brian Cox will be like, He was my favorite boy! <laughs> he was my number one boy! Oh my god. That might be my long-term prediction god. for the show. I have a short-term prediction that is pretty, you know, pretty silly. But I think that Roman might fuck that... Uh, older gal who's like the press secretary for the oh, company 
The one that he, like, sh- talks shit to all the time? Yeah, but they had, like, that weird phone conversation in the last episode, and they just seem to have a really... You mean you think they're already fucking? Maybe. But that maybe that's a thing that happens at I some mean, point. I mean, that'd be a fun thing. I was just gonna say I really actually like Roman's shitty chemistry with his girlfriend, because they're both just, like, so callous and full of shit. Yeah. That's one of the strangest things. I was like, their oh, relationship man. is weirder than Connor and oh, then, and uh, his and his paid for girlfriend. Can we can we call him Cameron Fry? Cameron Fry, absolutely. I love that actor, but he's, he's always gonna be my Cameron Fry. Sure, he's he has some good moments in both of those. He's episodes. super funny. I love when he's like, "Well, I got to get ready for my campaign. I'm gonna be the president." And Roman's like, "Oh, that's is that a, that's weird. Going from doing absolutely nothing to." <laughs> to the president that's kind of a leap why didn't you get a job <laughs> why didn't you get a job at CVS or something <laughs> CVS and then they all and then his like girlfriend starts roasting him too right <laughs> and he's like alright okay uh, okay yeah yeah that's yes. his fucking prostitute girlfriend thing is super weird but but fucking rich people but also man. might not be that weird to some people yeah I mean he's they've got an agreement you know that's how relationships work yeah bizarre <laughs> Super bizarre. <laughs> uh, what else, what else can we touch? I mean, the Tom and Shiv stuff we haven't really talked uh, about Tom Shiv is because we love. We started talking about how they're two British actors playing great Americans, yeah. but that's gotten squirrely because she this ep- this last episode she told him that that her dad had offered her the job. Yeah. And his rea- and you know and he, he was like, well, I was supposed to have that job, and she was like, well, you'll have the job. <laughs> Yeah, and then they take him out to dinner at Roman's and just roast his ass. I know, but you know, it's funny. I don't really feel that bad for Tom. I mean, Tom is so... Yeah, he's a fucking... He's the ladder-climbing, yeah. opportunistic... Yeah, I love I love the real... Tom's another example of someone who's He's like, a bootlicker. Well, he's put... And he's doing the same thing Kendall does where he's got different masks. Like, the way he acts sure. around the family as opposed to just cousin Greg. When he's yeah. like, fuck you, Greg. And he's like, I've been around longer than you. You're like the one guy I have power over. Oh, I know. And cousin Greg gets stuff out of him in that second episode. Oh, he's so great. <laughs> when when he's shopping for an apartment, and he's like, well, I just don't know. He's up in this little loft, and he's a tall guy. And he's banging his head on the loft, and the guy's like, it's extra space. You should be grateful. And... Oh yeah. Also, that and kid- Kendall's like, "You can have this apartment. I'm gonna throw a huge fucking party." And he's like, "Can you take it up to your house?" And he's like, "No, no, no. I'm sorry." That's when he says, "I am. Uh, I'm looking for pussy like a techno Gatsby." A techno Gatsby. <laughs> nah, Greg. Uh, Greg is Greg is the best put upon. Oh man. It's a very like uh, comedia like servant kind of thing. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, because I think that, I feel like in that first season there's episodes of him, well, of course there's that scene of him and Tom at dinner, but it seems like anytime there's things offered around, he's like, oh, I haven't eaten all day. Yeah, like Truffle Dino in the Servant of Two Masters. Yeah, he's the, he's the one that I think you as the audience are supposed to relate to because most of us might not have we would have no idea what was going on. We have on. no idea what it's like to be around that that kind of wealth and power. Yeah. I mean if you haven't watched this show, which I don't know why you're still listening if you haven't, but if you <laughs> haven't watched it, the, these people are so, so wealthy. Yeah. And every every other episode shows another example of that austerity. Yeah. Yeah. Of living. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that I think that turns some people off, but 
Yeah, when you see how they're presented, you're like, okay. Yes, but you're critical of them, you yeah. know? You're not... Cousin Greg's, like, the one you're supposed to relate to, and you might like others for different reasons, but... I really love Rome. He's fucking hilarious. I love Roman. It's, Roman has a couple... Kieran, right? That's Kieran, yeah. It's Kieran. Yeah. He also had some of the... One of my favorite lines in the first episode when everyone's reacting to the smell of that house, and he goes... <laughs> he goes, What's the deal? Dead kid, shallow grave, or what? <laughs> yeah, he's just got he's just got him. He's just he's they. It must be so fun for him to just read those scripts and be like, I get the best lines. Well, but I mean, does anyone not get good lines though? Everyone gets great lines, that, like, but he gets the best. The best. He, yeah. he he's his he's the mouth. So when you're yeah. dealing with a writer who's writing everyone to be beautifully eloquent or in however they're presenting themselves, yeah, he's like the the jester jabberjaw, yeah, kind of thing. I don't know. There's probably a good Shakespeare analogy for that sure. too. Well, I think that those are going to continue to like unfurl to us because we've obviously. Spent some time with the catalog. Well, you and I had talked about how maybe last season was King Lear and maybe this season is Julius Caesar. It's Julius Caesar. Fuck yeah. That was a weird theory we were kicking around. I thought that that might have been a hot little take. What was the unpacking of that again? Because last season was more like, who's going to be the success? Yeah, it was really about dividing what was to come. And this one's And he was really preparing for death. And I think everyone was preparing for death a little more in that one. I don't remember what was making us think that this would be Julius Caesar. Well, because he's because he's in strength now, and someone is probably going to be like less. That's, we were we were predicting that there's going to be more of an overthrow, another attempt at an overthrow. But I don't know how many yeah, times and Rome, show can do Rome that. is going to be the, like kind of the there's a character in Shakespeare who's like very eager to kill Shakespeare, and Kendall will be more like the Brutus who's like I already stabbed Dad in the back. He knows exactly. He covered up the murder. Yeah. <laughs> or at least the manslaughter or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Great shit, man. So I think that the we... The fact that we've spent most of this time, at, like, making analogies. We haven't talked about, like, how it has biblical references because Shakespeare seems more relevant, <laughs> I guess. But it just speaks... Shakespeare is relevant. It just speaks to that show. <coughs> like, what a good show that is that... Oh, we're man. We're making these kind of comparisons. It's, so, it's, it's truly excellent. And you know what? You're pretentious. And I like that. And I like that. <laughs> All right. Should we take a little break? We'll come back, talk Righteous Gemstones? Yeah. So you have any, uh, anything else you want to say about Succession? Uh, no. I don't, I don't have... I don't have any other parting words on Succession, just I can't fucking wait for more of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this season's looking like it's going to be really good. We're going to have to maybe reassess our uh, top five of the year after this one. I think that's probably pretty pretty, pretty sure to say. So Succession was a show about a patriarch mm-hmm. who has an elder son who's troubled mm-hmm. and uh, a daughter who's oft ignored. Mm-hmm. And a younger son with a big mouth, mm-hmm. uh, which is not unlike another show that HBO aired immediately after Succession, <laughs> uh-huh. called The Righteous Gemstones. Hell yeah. Uh, this is uh, another Danny McBride and his compadres um, projects. It has It's about a televangelist family. 
Super Rich, again. Mm-hmm. Despicable, again. A comedy this time. John Goodman is the patriarch. Danny McBride's the elder brother. Adam Devine. Adam Devine from Workaholics, younger brother. The sister's really funny. She's also in uh, Vice Principals, which is the last big Danny McBride show. She's played by Edie Patterson. I know that we're going to see some goggle woggles. Some not yeah, some, some Walt- Walton Goggins. There's Walton Goggins. Walter on the way. Goggles, Gogger Woggers. Uh-huh. My guy, probably being a Southerner. He's. I think Danny he's McBride, an old. Danny he's an McBride old man. Does the same thing. He's playing an old man. Sure. The clips of him in the next he's week. He's got some makeup and shit on. Yeah. Oh, I didn't watch the next week. That's, oh yeah. I should have watched that. I can't believe I can't believe you were able to resist. I think I forgot. <laughs> It was likely I just forgot. So, the, okay, so this is just going to be a six-episode season. I think that Vice Principals was like two seasons of six episodes. Yeah, and you as opposed to Eastbound and Down, which which was like had a longer five run, seasons yeah. or some shit. So that's great. I bet. Th- I wonder if this won't be the first of a couple of seasons of this show. Uh huh. Oh, I think I think so. It seems that they have their four seasons of Eastbound and Down. This is what it's like when we got a laptop. Check your facts. I know. We uh, need another guy who's looking stuff up while we're talking about it. We also didn't use the laptop once for Succession. We were ready for it. Uh. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. I think that we're definitely in for a long haul with this show, but did you love it? Were you super into this pilot? Well, we were talking earlier about how we were both a little um, kind of like, this is this is looking good, but maybe not great. But the ending of the episode is fantastic. It is. It um, is. They, they set it up. <clears throat> where Danny McBride is being blackmailed for Should we do spoilers on this? We've been spoiling everything else, I assume. That's the first episode. I don't know. We never really talk about spoilers because we already just spoil things, so I assume people are like on board with that. This is our first time uh, I mean, going, this is in 2003, This is our first time going maybe. through anything uh, as it's happening as That's opposed true. to it being That's done. That's true. So, spoilers, I guess? S- spoilers, question mark? Spoilers, if you haven't seen the premiere of The Righteous Gemstones. Uh, Danny McBride is being blackmailed by some guy disguised as the devil, the devil. Um, because he was he has a video of Danny McBride, this preacher doing cocaine and hanging out with hookers and stuff like that. Yeah, and you, they you kind of think that's going to be like the plot of the whole season, mm-hmm. and then by the end of the episode, Danny McBride has r- ran over the devil and his cohort. Yeah. And yeah. in, a, in a like a strip mall parking lot. Yeah, so we're yeah, so we're just jumping straight to the end of. And sure. it's, and it's, well, it's definitely the best moment of the pilot. It's a that's really when, that's when I think both you and I were like, oh yeah, I'm on board. Now. Okay, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, you're right because it is a fantastic moment of violence. I mean, it definitely and it's like one long shot. That's yeah, really great of of a very I mean a distant car running people over. Yeah, <laughs> uh, good for uh, fans of Grand Theft Auto. I think are going to appreciate that shot, which is. Part of the reason I haven't played that game since I was 14, but I do remember the running people over. GTA. I don't know if it's still popular. It was my favorite game ever back when I was playing video games a lot. Sure. So the, I mean, it, and it reminded me of Barry. The show seemed like it was trying to, to kind of walk this same dark tight that same dark tightrope. Yeah. And uh, Vice Principals had a lot of that tone too, it did. where there was some really dark, weird shit. You know, they're meeting out back of a school and have waving guns around and being drunk and blackmailing and scandalous stuff. Yeah. For for what it is. Yeah. And you know it's this, no euphoria. It's no euphoria. <laughs> well but you know, it kind of brought to mind just thinking about the their perspective, Danny McBride and his and his writing partners that 
made all of those shows. And we said this about True Detective last week, that we really do appreciate the the distinction of the landscape in which they're playing. You know, like this, is, I think, is set in North or South Carolina, and all of those shows take place in these smaller, kind of rural southern and southeastern cities and yeah. stuff and that's you know that's something you don't see because danny mcbride's a good old boy yeah they're all they're all south carolina dudes and mm-hmm. the he well he plays like i was talking about how danny mcbride doesn't have the best range but he writes these characters for himself and it's not to say i don't love him but the characters he plays are perfect for his type yes like he's played a down and out baseball player a vice principal and now a preacher and, and they all make sense they all make perfect sense yeah uh, he changes his facial hair every time, <laughs> and I appreciate that effort. But he's a great writer, and he's a great performer, and he carries... These shows Absolutely. usually have... He's the lead in all of them. He's gonna, yeah. We're going to have, like, 50% of our screen time with that guy. Yeah, and absolutely. And I couldn't be happier. No, totally. And uh, and that, was, that kind of brings up my next point, was that the Adam Devine performance and presence in the show, I am a little less enthralled with. Yeah. Speaking well, of someone who kind of runs back the same character every time, we thought that maybe his doesn't... Adam Devine's character that he puts into stuff doesn't quite have the same legs that the character that Danny McBride brings into the things. The reoccurring guy yeah. that he does. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I never watched Workaholics that much. Um, I was huge on Workaholics. So for I a short stint So like I, I have like a frame of reference of Adam Devine and him being uh-huh. the one to really blow up out of that thing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny when he was dressed like Colin Farrell from two thousand and three, <laughs> and he had like a knit cap and a V neck shirt and stuff. Wow. But. We'll, Put some respect on my man Colin Farrell's name. Though. I love Colin Farrell, but remember, remember <laughs> there was a period where like he was, oh I know he what was, he's he was being mocked for walking. I know, I know, I know the cap. man. I think it's I think it's when he was getting a hair transplant or something. Oof, did that happen? I don't know. Let's dish. Is that rumor? This is entertainment news now. I'm gonna Google this. Um, and I'm just kidding. I'm sure there's plenty of bullshit. Just like keep that out just there. keep running, man. <laughs> there's also stuff about whether or not Steve Carell got implants after the first season of The Office. Why don't you look that up while you're at it? Anyway, this is all mo- mindlessly off topic. What else were we, what are we, Adam, Adam Devine. I, I got, I got really lost Adam, in it. I had, Adam, I had Adam. to Google Colin Farrell hairpiece and it's, I mean, the t- one of the top things is Colin Farrell hates wearing a wig from female first. Well, that was probably for a movie or something. Yeah, sure. So I think Colin Farrell's hair is real, so. Well, those guys can afford it. Was Ray Velcro's mustache real? Oh, that was very real. 100 fucking percent. As was the tears I shed for his woodland death. Oh, Um, Oh, oh my God. (laughs) This is, see, this is like how little I think we have to say about Adam Devine as a person. I don't I don't have much to say about the guy. I don't know. I don't know what I have to say about him as a person. They, but he's probably a good writer, too, I bet. Like, they seem like they're good improv performers, writers, you know. Sure. And I guess time, time will tell. Com- this, is one, this is also one episode, so. Yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe by the end of this we'll be like, Adam Devine is our hero of the year performance. Right. What do you think of John Goodman? Uh, he doesn't have much to do in the beginning, but it ends with him mournfully watching him and his wife, his mm-hmm. his ex- expired wife, um, on VHS. I love John Goodman, though. I mean, the man's a... And he do- he commands the moments that he's got when he's slicing Dermot Mulroney down. He's an American uh, Brian Cox. If you're going to get a guy to just be the patriarch who everyone must bow down to. Totally. Like, you couldn't get a better guy than... Totally. 
John Goodman. Did you laugh a lot when you watched that first episode? I feel like there were probably a couple parts where I did, but I didn't wasn't like clocking it. And I'm watching it alone. That's always you know different than watching with other people. Sure, sure. I don't know. I I mean I'm gonna I'm kind of. I like the worlds that they make in those shows. Like I, I, li- I, I that's I watched, what I was saying earlier I about like, the, I like the sense Vice of place. Principle, even though it was, it's just they're so strange, and these people are acting so inappropriately. And I, I enjoy that kind of humor. I'm juvenile that way, but it's not like it's stupid either. You know? No, I wouldn't call the, I wouldn't call those shows like mindless at all. Yeah, it's not an Adam Sandler Netflix movie. Ooh, no. Which some of those I like. I, I like the like one Robert one. Smigel directed. Oh, that's right. That's I right. liked I liked the Noah Baumbach one, but whatever. yeah. God, well, I mean, what else you got? I don't know. We're just kind of running around. We're kind of running around. So. Uh, there's not much to talk about. There's the, only the the first episode. I think. Uh, but I think the, ju- the jury's I think out. I'm gonna, for both I think of I'm going to watch the whole season and see what happens. Okay. All right. You're you know? you're going to do the whole thing. I'm going to. I'll give it a couple more. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not. I'm it's going to come on after Succession. But mm-hmm. then I'm gonna have to watch the Deuce, so we're gonna have we're gonna be busy. We're gonna get piled about, up, and I I don't know. We're gonna be talking about a lot of things. Yeah. So the way that we wanted to kind of wrap this podcast up, since we were doing sort of a different structure to this one, is we just wanted to shoot around. We haven't really been consistent with our structure on any of them, and I kind of like that. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Every everyone's a new thing. Everyone is a new thing. Everyone's a new everybody. But we're definitely going to be talking about Succession. Succession, yeah, Succession's happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, succession, is, <laughs> succession is locked in. But this one we wanted to maybe just kind of shoot around some of the stuff that we've been that we've been taking in. We were discussing maybe we could talk about books. Trying to talk about a you book on what, a podcast you know, now is... <clears throat> you know, the last book I read we have a, we were wanted to talk about is The Last Good Kiss. The Last Good Kiss. I read it about a month ago. It sucks that I haven't read a book since then but right and i re- and i read this about a year ago and i've been dying for you to read it this is james crumley's i think 1972 that sounds right 73 74 Se- 72 71 72 73 72 ah. can i get a 73 going once going twice uh his his early 70s novel the last good kiss which is a now regarded as a classic now re- yeah absolutely now regarded as a classic of the crime genre one of george pelicanos uh top 5 <laughs> crime novels of all time yeah um and like a lot of the crumbly novels it's set around around montana sometimes colorado northern california uh-huh. it's a it's a western yeah it is it's, it's, a, it's and a it's a, south, it's, a it's a southwestern not a he doesn't go to like seattle or portland or anything like he that. goes to seattle that's in right some, he does in some of the other books yeah. in some of the other books not in this one but but oh, in, yeah. in some he's, of the other ones, he spends the he spends the beginning out in California a lot, ends up in Colorado and everywhere in between. And Montana is always home. Yeah, he's from Montana. Montana is uh, always home. C W Chagru. Chagru's from Texas, but Sugar. Oh, the character. Yeah. Or the author. You mean? Yeah, yeah. I get you. How uh, do you pre- how would we talked about how do you pronounce his last name? I say Chagru. But it wouldn't be fun if it was just sugar, and we're just dumb. It's because it's spelled funny. I would love it if it was sugar. But you liked it, right? I mean, this. And was... I said, oh, I loved it. And I read, you, I read it in like three days while I was on vacation. And you had a, and you had a hot little take that I think that we should just spit out because we were talking about it. You were saying how this is a western, this is a southwestern. Yeah, but and, I realized... and and my the thought that I had was that it's really a great, it's a road book. Yes, and and I had the thought the other day where I was like, holy shit, the because a lot of it is these. Two characters partying and being buddies, and and I was like, oh my god, it's on the road. The yeah. Kerouac book. Yeah. Um, it's just the detective version of that, yeah. basically. They are they are on a case. They are trying to solve, but along the way, they're just binging and hanging out and partying and sleeping with girls and. Well, and the one is 
in theory, the the writer character is in theory kind of looking for some sort of inner peace and also inspiration to continue writing. Yeah, the de- the detective gets a case to find a missing girl, and this. Um, well, his initial his initial this, task is to is to find that guy. And yeah, he that's finds right. Him. He gets hired to find <laughs> he gets hired to find this famed writer who's who's uh, alcoholic who goes on binges. And along the way, he gets offered another case to find a missing girl. And the alcoholic writer, whose name is Trehane, Trehan, Trehern, I think. Trehern. Um, they're both spelled really funny, so it's hard to. I do it. Can I? I so I've got loud. the. I've got the. I got the first line of that book pulled up, and it really it set, it does actually set the plot. Oh yeah. The the writer is obviously his name is Trehern, Trehern, however we want to say that, but he also and the detective is Shigru. Yeah, and uh, Trehern has a has a bulldog with him that yes. is one of the the best characters in the book. But the opening line is, "When I finally caught up with Abraham Trehern, he was drinking beer with an alcoholic bulldog named Fireball Roberts in a ramshackle joint just outside of Sonoma, California, drinking the heart right out of this fine spring afternoon." Drinking the heart right out of this fine spring afternoon. That's a whole paragraph. It's incredible. It's a, I mean, the writing in that, I think that, and we talk about this sometimes, that there's almost something trashy about reading detective novels all the time, but I think what a lot of people don't know is that some of the most sensitive, beautiful writing comes in those books because they're so set in solitude and yeah. in self-reflection. There's a big aspect. I was, I was just binge uh wikipediaing raymond chandler and Mm -hmm. national hammett and stuff Mm -hmm. and a big part of the genre is realism you know it was these guys saying what they're going through which you see a lot in in other literary genres yeah at the same time but you know this stuff's pulp and it's not like it's some cheesy uh dime store paperback that you read on the beach it's the kind of dime store paperback that you like keep on your shelf because it was published 50 years ago you know what i mean yeah and it it's regarded as a classic of literature yeah absolutely well i mean even like look where that i said earlier that this is on pelicano's top five crime novels of all time and like look what that dude has given us I mean, his novels are obviously wonderful, but I mean, that dude gave us some of the best episodes of The Wire. He also worked on this show called The Deuce. That Ooh! I- <laughs> oh! I don't know if we've ever mentioned our love. We've mentioned The Deuce. How excited we are about season three of The Deuce. And Treme. Shouts to Treme, man. I'm, about, I'm gonna finish it, I swear to God. I swear. I have six we'll, episodes left. We'll get back to you. It's taken me almost a year, but I think that when I hit the year mark, uh, I'm gonna have finished You Treme. forgot about the Big Easy, just like the government. Oof. It's good. Hot take. But I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. Be, I'm going to be a superior person to other people when I talk to them after I finish for me. I'm mo- more superior than you already are. <laughs> You're pretentious, you know. I like that. I think that. Uh, I think that. Here's a hot little take. I think Tremaine might be like the infinite jest of television, even though it really isn't that long. But I think that people just kind of are like, am I going to finish this? I think the infinite jest of television is Game of Thrones. (laughs) 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 They'll never live that one If we're talking about things I have never read and never will read, then you're absolutely right. Things I never actually plan to read and continue (laughs) to never actually plan to read. Things I'm actively not reading right now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we can talk for a while about the things we're not going to read. Um... 
Yeah, I'm really glad I finally got around to reading the, the Last Good Kiss, though. It, I I love uh, good detective novels, not uh, yeah, buddy. You know, I love I love a good hard boiled main character uh, having first person uh, monologuing with oh, an yeah. exquisite voice, and yeah. this guy's got all that. And he's not uh, he's not the old L.A. Hard-boiled guy. He's kind of a good old boy from Texas. The yeah, it's a much different. He gets called a redneck a lot in the story. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy from the Southwest. He's not from a big city. Yeah, he's an introvert to like Chandler's. What's Chandler's detective's name? Uh, Marlowe. Mar. Yeah, he, like he is the introvert to Philip Marlowe's extrovert. Marlowe is very like here I am, baby. You know. Sure. And he's also got like I haven't read any like Craig Johnson. Hmm. Books, but like uh, his guy, what's his name? Walt Longmire. Yeah, Longmire. I haven't read the Longmire books, but it kind of has. Those are like set in like Montana or something like that. Yeah, you know. Uh, and that's um, yeah, and that's that landscape. I really appreciate in those Crumley novels. I yeah, like that. There and there's a lot. This whole book, they're just driving from one one interesting place to another, and and. Kremlin's referencing real places, Colfax Avenue in Denver, the longest city in the United States. Yeah, I mean, he the hits, longest street in the United States. Yeah, he hits the highways. I mean, he knows mm-hmm. exactly where he is all and the that's, time. And that's what it's like reading uh, on the road. Sure. You know? Like, yeah. you're, you're following sure. them on this epic journey. And these guys do just, like, drink all the time. And then they'll stop back at Trahane's palatial mansion to help him dry out. And then they'll go back out and... They meet all sorts. They do the meeting of a million interesting characters along the way. Yeah, the the vintage porn archivist professor at that's, UCLA that's is a, a great, great character. They're, such and a they're good, watching old old film reels of old early early porn illegal underground pornography that yeah. this guy is trying to catalog. Yeah, and you think and you think now like oh my god like where's that guy's book? Well, and I'm like <laughs> and I'm like who currently know that inspired this exactly? You know, must. Must have known some strange people. There's a great. Uh, they run into a, a little hippie girl at one point that I really liked. Who who knew that? Who knows? The... Who knows the missing girl? Mm-hmm. And uh, Trahane tries to come on to her, and she's like, "I'm no star fucker," but she points him out to the girl that will fuck him. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it's funny. Shit. <laughs> Those scenes, the, all the scenes in California, kind of reminded me of uh, Sideways a little bit. I never saw Sideways. You ever seen Sideways? It's, yeah, we talked oh, that's about a, that. Oh, that's a great... Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church almost could pull those roles off in a different universe. That seems like a job requirement for you. Yeah. Because <laughs> you work in the industry, not because you drink. Yeah. 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 I'm in the industry. In the industry. Woof, dude. Yeah. The, drink, um, the drinking industry. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that, man. Yeah, we can uh, take this or leave it, but I'm drinking a beer right now, so sure. it's okay. I'm drinking. I'm drinking a glass of wine. Like I just, yeah. Implicit, like you just implicitly expressed. Ex- explicitly. <laughs> uh, I, you know, and the one thing I wanted to say though, because we were talking about the the sense of place in in those Cromley novels in Montana, and I just wanted to put this in there really quick. I just finished that Richard Ford collection of short stories. Um, oh my God, Rock Springs, right? Oh, we're done talking about. Last I, good kiss, I guess. I mean, I don't know what else you got. No, I have I have some like highlight scenes that are oh, like you more. You know, what are like some of your how much? Well, how much do we have? Yeah, we're at twenty two. I minutes. could talk about last good kiss for a long time. Oh, if you want to keep going, that's good. I don't know. Well, like, what are some of your like 
scenes that stand out in your brain, you know? Like, that's my question, like... Because when I look back on that thing, like, there is some, especially in the third act, shit really gets amped up, mm-hmm. gets violent. There's a guy who gets his foot shot off uh-huh. in a bathtub. Yeah. Like, the, I was going to say, the kidnapping of the guy in Denver is good stuff. When they hook up with this little, they hook up with this younger woman who helps them, and she's like... A character just comes out of nowhere and becomes a huge. Character. This is from the Pet Sanctuary in Fort yeah, Collins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you, when you first meet her, she's like waving an axe around. Yeah. And then she like just joins the gang, basically. Yeah, that stuff is great. I mean, there's the. I, this this might be after they're at the hippie party in Southern California, and they are. <laughs> they're they're leaving, and they and the bulldog fireball Roberts is acting like he's not gonna leave he's just like lying on the ground i think and they keep driving and then they see the dog get up and crumley notes that the dog has a hangover and it's like yeah. you can see the dog the dog a- is very alcoholic but he's like i gotta f- if i'm f- i gotta get in that fucking car with those guys and they make him another person that it's like it may as well have just been like their drunk mute friend yes who was with them and you're super charmed the descriptions of the dog's moves are so such good imagery you know the dog yeah. the dog is walking across the bar stools to lick up the beer out of the out of the used ashtray yeah you know and it's like this this fat little charming bulldog and that character is a big big part of the story yes he is um it starts off as a little joke and you know i can see it's one of those books when you read you can see the author like starting to figure his thing out and really enjoying it yeah, because I think that's you're doing the same absolutely thing. true. And it works really well for that genre. I don't know how much of a plan he had for how the end was going to go. Because the end kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I was just, like, I was saying, I think I said this earlier, really, like, those last 40 pages are really busy in that book. Yeah. A lot happens in the last 40 there's pages. There's a lot going on, and there's, like, they go back to the same places a lot. Like, like yeah. they're on, like, their third, like, like drying out rehab stint or whatever. Yeah, and and we've said this before though that like. But then it ends. It doesn't. Just when I was yeah. like, okay, it's it ends. And we said this when we talked about True Detective last week. That those those novels don't wrap up in this clean, neat, yeah, sensible way because that isn't how anything wraps up. Yeah, I've told you the Raymond Chandler. There's a Raymond Chandler quote or whatever, but he talks about. How a good detective novel could be ten chapters, but you could be missing the tenth one, and it would still be really enjoyable. You don't need to... The The actual resolution of the mystery isn't the big satisfaction of the thing. It's the characters you met along the way. Yeah. The it's, fr- it's, a much, it's, more, yeah. it's more Taoist than, like, yeah. the Agatha Christie yeah, whodunit. It's more about this... Seeing these, like, wrecked people and these wrecked men and these... The underbellies, you know, that was... Those books always represented people who were fucked up, yeah. and that's what it does kind of remind me of those old beatnik novels and stuff too, because it's the the, well, ma- it's, the I, mad ones. The, well, and a lot of that stuff I think is is fairly similar era. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Crumley like was an aged one of those guys. Yeah, they make fun of hippies and stuff in that book, mm-hmm. which is pretty funny. But then he's then he'll go smoke weed with them anyway. And, Get drunk with them. Yeah, there, I sh- yeah. The Crumley detective characters never turn down a, a bump, a smoke, a drink. Yeah, they're always they're always there for it. Yeah, they like hate people, but they make friends. 
they make friends easy. Yeah, that's just such a funny detective thing. People are always charmed by him, and they're like, ah, you're such an asshole, I can't help but liking you. Yeah. Which is, I'm sure, like, a poor model for a lot of toxic masculinity, but also... Yeah. But, you yeah, know. But, but, you know, there, but there's also, like, a sensitivity to those crumbly leading men that, like... Actually, is pretty yeah, uh, pretty progressive in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, we were talking about how it's different from the older. They de- they definitely they, tre- yeah, their treatment they of women. Their treatment of women is very very different. Well, and they're being like more emotionally affected by the experience. Mm-hmm. It's not just mm-hmm. this this action man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He is. They are always bruisable. Falling apart men. Yeah. Uh, the Dancing Bear, which I just read, which has his other detective in it, he is constantly thinking, like, thinking about his age and how, like, he is it's, just. It's he's an existential really, element. Yeah, he's it. just, like, really not long for this line of work, you know, whereas. Where uh, Philip Marlowe isn't really, like, that's kind of. Indiana Jones ageless. Yeah, bullets, ba- bullets bounce off Philip Marlowe. Although Indiana Jones did age, and I. We don't need to talk about that. That's a, yeah, we could do a whole we could do a whole one of those. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what else to say about about it. It's a great book. That's a fucking great book. You should read that book. If you like I, books, you should read. I that book. I really want to read more of the crumbly ones. I might borrow some of yours or track some down. Mexican Tree Duck. I would highly recommend. It's the they're next. hard they're hard to find. I work at a bookstore, and goddamn, we never see a crumbly novel. because um, that's the kind of stuff people don't want to get rid of. You want to keep it on your shelf. And that's, a, that's, to me, a mark of a really good book, is something you're going to be like, I, I will probably want to reread this. It's the only, or at least, like, show other people that I have. Crumley's the only writer that I've ever been stopped in public for reading. I was at the airport going home for Christmas reading The Mexican Tree Duck. And this older, old man. And this it was this, no, it was this it was this older gal who was drinking at the oh, nice. at the bar with me was like you're reading Crumley. It's like the beginning of a Crumley novel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the beginning yeah. of the third man. And then you took her back to her hotel. <laughs> she was sweet. She called you up though. That's awesome. She gave me a lot of recommendations, and she to the point that she was recommending two stores that I have saved in my phone somewhere. There's a store I think either in Santa Fe or Albuquerque. That's like an all-crime mystery bookstore. There used to be one around here. And a place in Minneapolis that is, like, apparently the definitive, like, crime crime bookstore. So she was in it. Yeah. I I really love that I've gotten into this genre. It kind of... When I was in college, I was really into sci-fi. And then post-college, I've fallen in love with the different pulp genre. I, I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. just great, though. They feel good, man. It's like good methadone for your ennui. Well, then the... the oh, what was that? That's my computer. Cut that out. I don't know if I could. Well, and they... I don't know. They're just, like, fun and entertaining. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah. Like, there's great banter. (laughs) There's great characters. And that's why it doesn't matter at the end of the day who who killed who. Because it's kind of like you had this great experience just going on this... In these places and seeing these people. Yeah, it's the friends you made along the way. That's why it's the kind of stuff I'm always like, I want to write this kind of shit. Uh, You know, you don't really need to walk in there with a huge, grandiose plan to end up with something really fun and readable. Okay, so as I guess I mean while we're doing the genre, do you have what what's some, give me a plug that you give us another one that you want people to read? Um, I think my the, especially like dip your toes and get into the one that I've talked to you a million times about. I know is Red Harvest by yeah. Dashiell Hammett. Of course, um, and this is like 
this is totally like 101. This is like Dashlam, it's like the 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 reason it is what it is. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what I, I want to come up with like a, a an analogy for like yeah, it's like it's like he's like the he's he's like he's like the guy who started the, the trend. Yeah, he's know. like the, he's like the Bill Russell. I mean, it's I don't know. He's the yeah the beginning. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's he set that trend in a lot of ways. Sure. And he didn't write a lot, but he wrote like five novels and Red Harvest. I think is his first novel with the Continental Op, who's a nameless detective. And in that book, he travels. He and it's and I think I like it because it's not like an LA story. He travels from LA to like somewhere, uh, Ohio, like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh or Montana, like a coal town kind of place. And he gets hired by this rich guy to track down these like s- local syndicates of prostitution and d- drug running and gun running and stuff like that. And it just. There's a point in that book when you're about halfway through where the like I think the chapter opens where he's like I've been here for ten days and there's and there's twelve bodies and that's how many like just crazy shit is happening in that story. Um, there's a really good classic femme fatale in that one I remember. That's that's one of my favorite of the genre that I would recommend. Sure. Another one that I would recommend that I, that is d- super palatable I think to 2019. And is and is less in the the hard boiled detective vein, but I think still really gets you into the American crime vein is Swag by Elmore yeah, Leonard. I really want to read that one too. Uh, Elmore Leonard obviously is the author that um, wrote the books that inspired movies like Jackie Brown and Get Shorty, and I th- so many of. It. I think that this is like one of the only novels that hasn't been adapted for film, which I find. Yeah. Just mind-boggling. Yeah, give it time. <laughs> but it's about um, a couple of guys in Detroit in the in the mid-70s. A guy who works on a used sales car, on a used car sale lot, and then a, a guy who jacks cars. And uh, they kind of get linked up into a friendship, and, the, and they discuss the, the ten rules of armed robbery and go into a... They become like bank robbers. Or? Yeah. Well, they, well, they become like convenience store robbers and liquor store robbers. They've, they've got a code. And, but yeah, but they kind of have a code of the way that they do it, and it's just a, it's a really good Kierkegaardian like either or. What are you doing now that you're doing this? Sure. Kind of novels, you've, but also you've committed to the life. You've committed. You've committed to this. How how long are you going to do it? How long do you think? How long you can, can you maintain this? Yeah, and but also like in, so it's kind of like a. Uh, uh, again, like a on the road, Bonnie and Clyde. Kind sure, of but yeah, but it's all it's all in one it's all inside one microcosm of Detroit. So okay, they're not running around the country. They're not running around, and in classic Elmore Leonard fashion, like the book is so fucking funny, and yeah. that's the thing with uh, the Crumley novels and um, the uh, the the Chandler novels are obviously like that. I'm sure that the Hammett ones are too. They're just so yeah. funny. And it's just like a dry, dry wit sometimes. Like, like some of those detective femme fatale conversations are just like really sarcastic. Where you're like, I, you know, I can't, I can't even believe people communicated that way back then. You don't think about it like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think people were so sincere all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's great about that genre is just revealing that that underbelly, you know? Right. Well, and they all, uh, all of them that I've read, like, through passing decades that they're in 
are kind of great time capsules for America, and I I yeah. fucking love that. Yeah. That's why we like True Detective so much, is that we feel like we're looking at a different American identity all the time, in a time right now where we're like, what is it? Because if it is what I think it is, then it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's a weird genre to write now, as I'm sure we'll have experience trying. Sure, but I mean, you know, Walter Mosley and George Pelicanos both had new books this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I'm waiting for the paperback. That genre gets interesting to me now once we get into, like, the current era of technology, because plenty of those books work well in sci-fi, too. I just recommended to you again... Jonathan Lethem, who is a great uh, literary writer. In a lot of ways. Um, one of his early books is a detective story called Gun with Occasional Music. But it's like a sci-fi detective. Yeah, so it's set in this world where like there's animals that have been mutated so they can talk. Like one of... Uh, the cover of the book I had, there's a, ca- a kangaroo, and that's like this uh-huh. guy. This kangaroo's like fucking with the detective the entire book and following him around, and like just this angel of death for the detective is that's this kangaroo, hilarious. you know? Jonathan um, Lotham is about to have finally a major motion picture this year. His novel, Motherless Brooklyn, oh, I think is coming out this year, adapted I, or directed by Edward Norton. Oh. I don't know how I feel about that. What, you're out on Edward Norton? I have mixed feelings about Edward Norton. Really? Sometimes. Explain. I don't know, he seems like, uh, he's, like, got really great taste, but he's also, like, probably kind of an asshole. I've heard some asshole You think he's his Birdman character? Yeah, I don't know, though, but I love him. Like, I love watching him, you know? I don't know what he's like as a director. What else has he done? You know? I don't know. So that makes me, if you had told me, uh... Uh, a different name of a director that I knew well, then I might be like, oh. Have you read Have you read that book? No, I haven't. I haven't read that one. You've You've recommended that one to me. Is just, Is that the one where he has Tourette syndrome? That's the yes. Yeah, and it's interesting. I do know that one of the controversies about this this new movie is that it's I think set in the forties, which is strange because that is not when it is set in the in the book. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> well, sure. Any other books you want to talk about? Uh, oh, you talk about the one you've been reading. I well, I just I was going to say that earlier because we were talking about Montana. These books set in Montana. I just finished Rock Springs by Richard Ford. It's a I don't know maybe fifteen short, <coughs> short stories. And I made the joke to you the night that I ran into you that they they almost seemed like cliches of the American short story because so many of them were like I went out hunting with a man I didn't know. And my mother was waiting back in pickup, and the yeah. geese flew overhead, you know. But they really are, I would definitely recommend them for children of divorce. Okay. They are, I think... That's a common theme? That is a common theme, because it's so many, I mean, it's such a different stories, but they all really, they don't all take place in the same community, but they really do seem to... Tiny town? Uh, I mean, they, they even take place in different towns, but it is, but it is a, there is a fabric that connects them all. Of Are like they pretty rural kind of Very things. rural, like these broken marriages and second marriages, and frequently it's the it's a, it's a, a teenager or younger kind of observing this adult behavior. When was that written? When was that published? I, I think it in the 80s. Okay. But very good, like very, like just really beautiful punchy writing, and just a, an immediate connection to all the characters in the thing. It was it was it was really good. I read I read that in five days. Yeah, 
and, for you. And it was it, it was wonderful. I'm looking forward to. I need, I need to start trying to read more. I it's easy when I'm like on vacation or something. I don't know yeah. what it is. Well, I'm I I have a job right now that is allowing me to. I have a job that should allow me that. <laughs> I'm too busy actually pricing books to to read them much. Anyway, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. So we didn't really expect to end up talking about all these books, but I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did, too. Yeah, that's got to be something we do on this, because we do like books. Sure. And we want to encourage literacy. And anyone who listens to this, if you have if you have a show or a book or something that you want to send our way for consideration that we look at and talk about, like, fucking do it. Yeah, sure. I'm assuming if you listen to this podcast, you can find us personally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure at some point we'll add more uh, contact info or a Patreon or something. Right now we're just grassroots in this thing. Sure. But that was I, this was a fun talk. I thought this was a good... Yeah. Uh, I look forward to talking about Succession more in the weeks to come. Absolutely. And uh, seeing what other weird stuff we come up with. I know we're looking forward to The Deuce. The Deuce. And, uh, and I'm also really excited about The Dark Crystal. Uh, prequel. Dark Crystal, fuck, I forgot Age about that. Age of Resistance. It's a prequel? It's a prequel. Okay, we can't get into this. We're yeah. going to talk to you guys next week. Alright, thank you guys for joining us. Hot Little uh, Takes. Here at Hot Little Takes. Have a wonderful day. Right.